We've got to be able to do the word of God, not just speak the truth. That we must unapologetically testify that God values all life from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. What does it really mean to be pro-life? You know, all around us, it seems like the world is on fire. There are refugees and orphans who are in desperate need of care. There's a foster care system that seems like it's overloaded. There's natural disasters and wars. And there's evils like abortion and racism and white supremacy. What does it look like for the people of God to move into those spaces and to speak up for life? If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. We'd like you to join us in Washington, D.C. this January 18th through 20th for our annual Evangelicals for Life event that we co-host with Focus on the Family. This two-day event will feature very compelling speakers like Russell Moore, Jenny Yang from World Relief, Johnny Erickson Tata, Rich Stearns, Jim Daly, and of course the music of Shane and Shane. I think you'll enjoy coming not just to be equipped, to be a champion for life in your community using your gifts in whatever area God calls you, but also to meet with other champions for life. And then there'll be a special opportunity to participate in the March for Life where thousands of people from around the country make their voice heard in Washington, D.C. and stand up for the sanctity of human life. So will you join us for Evangelicals for Life January 18th through the 20th and use the coupon code WAYHOME for a 20% discount. These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings. What does discipleship look like for the average Christian? I think we hear the word discipleship, and most of us who work in professional uh, vocations, such as pastor or youth pastor or missionary know those words, but for the average Christian who wants to obey the command to make disciples, what does that look like? Well, I have Robbie Gallaty, who is the senior pastor at Long Hollow Church, one of the biggest Southern Baptist churches here in the Nashville area, but also the president of Replicate Ministries. Uh, Robbie and his team have written some really excellent resources on discipleship. And for Robbie Gallaty, it's personal because his life story is incredible, and he shares that with me here, how God kind of turned his life around from kind of aimlessness and then a life of addiction and drugs to where uh, he became a Christian and then was discipled very faithfully and effectively by Dr. David Platt, who's now the president of the IMB. And that discipleship relationship let Robbie realize how important it is to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with others, and since that has been his life's passion. So join me as we talk to Pastor Robbie Gallaty about disciple-making. Robbie, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Robbie, I think you are really well-known for discipleship and, and for really encouraging uh, pastors and churches and ordinary people to really take seriously the call to make disciples. But before we talk about some of those things that you've written and spoken on well. For the people who might not know who Robbie Gallaty is, which I can't imagine there are people like that, but let's let's just assume that maybe there are. I'm sure they are. Sure you know? Are. <laughs> um, 
can you just share how and why this became kind of a consuming passion uh, in your life and something you've, you've devoted your life to? Well, I'll tell you uh, just a kind of a snippet of my testimony, which is uh, kind of a long story, but I'll give you a shortened version. Uh, and that, I think, will really show people why I'm so passionate about disciple-making. And the answer is I'm the product of disciple-making. Uh, I was raised very religious, uh, Roman Catholic home in New Orleans, Louisiana. Went to church every Sunday. If we missed church on Sunday, went to confession on Saturday. And, uh, but, I knew, but I knew about Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with him, right? Uh, I knew who he was, Christmas and Easter, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. It wasn't until I went to college. I had a scholarship to play basketball uh, at a Southern Baptist college. I was a Roman Catholic, if you know what that means. Wow. I was the target of every evangelism class on campus, right? So wow. who do you tell about Jesus? The <laughs> Roman Catholic Robbie. basketball player, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah, on a Southern Baptist college, which is really neat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, uh, I heard the gospel, but I would reject the gospel. Um, and it wasn't until seven years later that the seeds that were sown in college, and just a side note for those listening, don't ever underestimate the power of sown seeds and hardened hearts, uh, that God may bring that to fruition years later. He did my own life. Uh, I got out of college. I got into MMA fighting. I was in New Orleans, Louisiana at the time, 6'6", 290 pounds. Guy saw me out one night at a restaurant bar and he's like uh, hey man would you be interested in being the head bouncer of my club downtown new orleans in the middle of mardi gras i said let me get this straight you're going to pay me to fight i'm in right mm. and uh, i did that for about three months a guy pulled a gun on me in the parking lot i thought i need a career change i moved from bouncing to bartending wow i'm coming home from work uh november 22nd 1999 an 18-wheeler comes across two lanes of traffic, rear-ends my car into the guardrail, 65 miles an hour, and uh, I herniate two discs in my neck, two discs in my back, and uh, went to the doctor, and they said, it's amazing you made it through the accident alive. We're going to send you home with four things. And Dan, it was Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. Wow. And uh, you know the story. Within a few months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. have a desire to to make money or to uh, be successful. I just want to get high. And I'm going through this 30-day uh, prescription in two weeks. And a friend of mine in the city at the time, so-called friend, he basically said, why are you fooling with pharmaceutical drugs? You can, buy, you can buy street drugs, heroin and cocaine. You can buy it in bulk. You can bag it, sell it, make money. And so I talk, took this business knowledge from the world. I brought it into the drug world. I started an illegal import business for about three years while I was trafficking drugs, using uh, selling. And uh, at the time, I made tons of money in the beginning. But uh, as with any addiction, the habit was overwhelming. And uh, I, I actually was using more than I was selling. Robbed my own family for $15,000 uh, over the course uh, of the next few months. Lived without gas, electricity, and water. When my parents kind of disowned me, kicked me out. And then finally, after two rehab treatments, long story short, I remembered what a guy in college told me about Christ. And uh, I was in my room. I, I wasn't in a, a revival or a church service. I was in my room and I cried to the Lord and I said, God, if you're real, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I had done some things wrong. But uh, I also knew that Jesus was the only one who could save me. And here's what I thought. In my immature mind, I thought, what could happen if I go all in after Jesus with the same intensity I did to get high? Right? I mean, you don't get in the way of someone, you know, an addict trying to score drugs. Right. And, and, and I thought, what could happen if I go all in? And man, that was 
15 years ago uh, mm. when God just radically changed my life. Well, here's the problem, and a lot of people can resonate with this part. I knew I should read the Bible. I knew I should memorize scripture. I mean, I didn't know how to, but I knew that was probably something I needed to do. I didn't know how to pray. Uh, I didn't know how to really talk with God. I mean, I, I knew the Our Father and the Hail Mary, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to talk with God. And I'm at church one Sunday, Edgewater Baptist Church. Dr. Jim Shaddix is the pastor. Mm. And a man named David Platt walks across uh, the church. And, I've heard uh, of that back guy. then, David, you might have heard of this guy. Now, back yeah. then, he looked about 12 years old. And <laughs> he, he was this younger guy. He was my age, but he looked younger. You know, David had. Uh, uh, j- just this uh, ability to just memorize the word and preach the word. And I was in awe of, of, of him when he would preach and just really blown away by what God was doing in his life. But he asked me, he said, man, would you be interested to study the Bible, memorize scripture and pray and meet once a week and do it? I said, David, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? And for <laughs> the next two years, Dan, we met every single week. Uh, we started at... Uh, the Chinese restaurant over General South Chicken. Then we moved to uh, pizza at the Italian place. And then after about six months, we opened the group to a larger group of guys. And he encouraged me to go to seminary. Uh, he stood in my wedding. He baptized me, uh, took me on my first mission trip, encouraged me to go get a degree at school. And I tell people, they say, what was it like to be with David Platt? I mean, what did you talk about? What was the theology you, you wrestled with? And all those things were good. And memorable. But here's what really sticks out to me. It's not so much what David said to me or even taught me. It's the way he lived his life as I watched him. I watched how he loved his wife. I watched how he served his church. I watched how he preached and handled the word. I watched his passion to memorize the book of Romans as I was trying to do with him. So I say all that to say I'm the product of disciple making. What I realize is that many people have never had the benefit of being intentionally discipled by another man like that, or even another woman, if you're a woman. Uh, and that's really been kind of the passion of my life, to really bring to the forefront the final words of Jesus's earthly ministry and make them the first work of our life. Hmm. That's that's really powerful. I mean, if you think about it, when you when you finally decided to to trust Christ, and then you you know, you run into David Platt, you're pretty, in terms of a Christian, pretty raw, pretty undiscipled or whatever. And so for him to say, you know, here's a guy that I think has, you know, God has called me to disciple and has potential. Like, I mean, did did you think, you know, hey, in 15, I mean, you, you weren't thinking this, hey, in 15 years, I'm going to be pastoring a church in, in Nashville. I'm going to be writing discipleship curriculum and all that. Like, it's just amazing what God can do when, you know, when people decide to obey the the call to make disciples. Well, I tell you, you know, it's funny you say that because here, here's what I tell people. David told me early on, and, I, and I've always been uh, kind of a lifelong learner, and I was always a, like a sponge soaking up information. And I tell people, what's the one quality? People ask me, what's the one quality I'm looking for in, in people I'm discipling? You're looking for a lot of qualities, but one is teachability. If a person is unteachable, they can have all the skills and talent in the world but you can't really work with them. But if a person has teachability and they have nothing really to write home about as for a skill and talent, you can work with that person. And I was very teachable. I knew I didn't know a lot of things. 
But here's what David told me. When I early, uh, when early on when I'd meet with him, we would sit over lunch and I would write on the napkins at the restaurant. Right? I'd write all these theological insights. And David leans over and he says, hey, man, you might want to get a notebook. And uh, I said, really? He said, you might want to get a notebook to write them down. He said, because here's the thing, and I've never forgotten this. He said, you're not learning for you. He said, you're learning for the guy who's coming after you. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm looking back at the restaurant, and I'm like, I'm like, David, I'm a Christian like nine months. There's nobody coming after me. What are you talking about? He's like, I know not now. He said, but to be a good steward as a Christian, as a disciple, is not only to be a steward of your resources, but to be a steward of the information God has given you. Mm. And he said, you're not learning for you. You're learning for someone else, which years later, uh, we came up with this saying. Uh, and I use this saying a lot, and, and the saying is, the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. And so every person in the Christian life is either running with passion and handing off the baton to the next generation, or we're fumbling the handoff, right? And so I've always remembered that. I, and, and I take notes even to this day. So I can listen to a sermon that I've heard before. I may have even preached on it. But I still take notes. Why? Because God's going to speak to me in an, in an intimate way or a personal way. And more importantly, I am emulating what I expect people to do as well. And so it's a great discipleship tool, I think, to do that. Hmm. So you're a pastor now, and you've, you've been in ministry for a while. Making disciples is language that we're used to. I, I pastor, you pastor, you know, those of us who are doing this vocationally full-time. For the average Christian, I think... They may be thinking, what does it mean to make disciples, or what does discipleship mean? And secondly, I think they wonder, like, can I even do this? Am I equipped to do this? I haven't gone to seminary. You know, I haven't memorized, like, systematic theology, you know, by Wayne Grudem. And so, like, can I even do this, or is this something only professionals can do? What do you say when you run across uh, people who feel that way? Yeah, I I would say, first of all, these are great questions, because if we don't define the terms, like what do we mean by discipleship and disciple making, then what happens is we, I feel that a lot of our conversations will be as useful as those at the top of the Tower of Babel many years ago, where we're going to be using the same terms but speaking a different language, right? So guys will say, hey, I'm making disciples. Uh, I eat pizza and watch football on Sunday night. Well, that's a part of it. But there's more to it than that. Or I'm in Sunday school. I've been in Sunday school all my life, Pastor. I'm making disciples. Well, that's a part of it, but it's not all of it. And so I've come up with a definition, and all the words mean something. Uh, and here's how we define disciple-making and, uh, or, or, or discipleship, and then I'll go to disciple-making. Discipleship is the intentional process of equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. All the words mean something. So intentionality. This is not through uh, just haphazard uh, ministry here. You need to be intentionally looking and seeking guys or girls you can invest in if you're a woman. With the Word of God. The, The Bible is the textbook. I tell people, you don't, and this is good to note, you don't ever graduate from the Bible right? Like there's no other, it's not like you finish this book and there's another book waiting. The Bible goes deep and wide the more you read it. And so uh, the Bible's the textbook, intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships. One of the things that sets discipleship apart from 
small groups, life groups, and Sunday school classes, which are all part of it, is that accountability aspect. You and I both know, a guy's not going to walk into a life group that we attend with his wife sitting next to him, raise his hand and say, hey, guys, pray for me. I'm struggling with pornography. It ain't going to happen, right? It's it's just not going to happen. A woman's not going to come in with other women uh, in in the group and her husband next to her. Hey, listen, I want you to pray for me. I have a problem talking about all you ladies in the church. Just pray for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not going to happen. But here's what happens. When you're in a smaller environment, three to five men with men, three to five women with women, may not happen at first, but over time, there's going to be a level of intimacy and openness where they'll come in and say, hey, listen, my marriage is hanging on by a thread, and I need you guys to pray for me. And it's happened in my group. So intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, Dan, I think this is interesting, but think about the American church. It's amazing how much we attempt to do separate and apart from the Holy Spirit in ministry. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. like in our own strength, and I'm I'm guilty as charged. I mean, how many times do I attempt to do things in my own power, in my own strength, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the key to the whole system, in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ? What I tell our people, and, and I tell, we do a lot of training through Replicate. We have a ministry where we train and equip the local church to make disciples. Here's what we tell people: the discipleship process is not complete until the mentee becomes a mentor or the player becomes a coach. Mm. And so it's not just that you're learning for you as a consumer. You're learning in this transformative way where you can then pass on to the next generation. So discipleship is the piece of growing people into the image of Christ. But let me let me go kind of a higher 30,000 foot view. Disciple making is the twofold process of both evangelism and discipleship. And what I tell people is you have to have both, because if you only talk discipleship and not evangelism, then what happens is you're going to row in a circle with one oar. You have to have both, because if not, you disciple the same people in your church, and you never reach people with the gospel. So there's this two-pronged approach to it. Now, why have we not talked about this, or why have we not engaged in it? Or how can people maybe think, well, I can't do this. I'm not a pastor. I don't have a degree at seminary. I don't have... Uh, I've never been to a seminar on disciple-making. When Paul taught Timothy uh, with the church of Ephesus, you know, you know, Timothy is the pastor of the first church of Ephesus. Paul wrote a few letters to mm-hmm. Timothy and one to Ephesians, and, and, and he wrote to the church of Ephesus. So he says in there, I think, which is the quintessential guide for effectiveness in the church. Here's what he said, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 13. And God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, the mentors, if you're writing a sermon, I like to alliterate, probably like you, the mentors, verse 11, equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is the ministry aspect. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, verse 13, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the fellowship of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's what he's saying. That's the maturity. He's saying when the mentors equip the saints or believers to do the work of ministry, then they mature. Now, for years, get this, and this is one of the greatest aha moments of my personal ministry. I I used to look at that verse and pragmatically, like many pastors, read it 11, 13, 12. Here's what I mean. We say, listen, as mentors, as ministry leaders, when you are mature enough, verse 13, then we'll let you do ministry. 
right? Like you go to another class, we'll let you serve. Or you, you, you go to another seminar. When you get that degree and come back, we'll let you teach and, and lead in the church. And, and there's a time and season for that. But notice what Paul says. And this is what I want you to get, which is so amazing. It's the mentors who equip the saints through ministry and through ministry, they mature. And here's what I, I, I really blew me away. I mean, here's what I realized. Ministry is the pathway to maturity, according to Paul. And there are some areas of, minute, of maturity, some levels of maturity that we will never attain to, never experience, unless we engage in ministry. Now, I'm not saying we just put a brand new believer teaching Sunday school or life group. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, when you engage people in a level of disciple-making, whereby they're growing in order to replicate what they've learned, then you let them or, or allow them to get to a place of maturity they never would attain otherwise. And that's one of the greatest aha moments for me because for so many years, and you feel this as a pastor, we're gauged by the holy man myth. And that is, if we don't do ministry, ministry doesn't get done. But aren't you glad the disciples had a different philosophy? It wasn't them really who good. were always doing all the ministry. The, the effect, I told Long Hollow when I first got here two years ago, I told our church, I said, one of the ways to determine if I am effectively pastoring or shepherding our church is not, get this, is not how well I execute the ministry myself, although that's important. It's how well I'm equipping you to partner in the God-given ministry that Christ has called you to do. Because if we don't allow you to partner in ministry, we are, in a sense, paralyzing and crippling you from doing what God put you on the planet to do. And man, I'm going to tell you, when, when you have that kind of culture in the local church, it's such an amazing place to pastor, right? Because people are more engaged. They're reading the Bible. They're taking notes. They're passing on ministry. And, you know, my time with Platt was great. I mentioned that. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. But it fades in comparison to seeing someone I've discipled and mentored go on and do great things for God. There's no greater joy. And you know this as well. There's no greater joy than that. Let me ask you a question about pastors and church leaders want to foster a culture of discipleship in their church, you know, one-on-one, one-on-two, particularly, you know, as, as I think you've done well, calling them D groups or however people call them. From one perspective is, what are some, what are some, some practical things that you you recommend. And number two, if you're if you're just speaking to someone out there who says, you know, I feel like I need to do this, what are some ways to look for people who are interested in discipleship, interested in being discipled, you know, having a relationship like this? Yeah, I would say, um, number one, if you're a ministry leader, um, when I tell ministry leaders, pastors, uh, life group leaders, uh, if you're on a staff, pastoral staff, minister, you can't expect people to do something you're not emulating yourself, right? So if you're not uh, passionately in the Word of God and, and seeking God through the Scriptures and fostering a relationship through the Word, you can't expect your people to do that. If you're not a man or woman of prayer, you, you can't expect your people to be in prayer because you're not emulating what you're expecting. And I think the same thing goes for discipleship. Until discipleship becomes the ministry of your church— and not a ministry in the church, it really doesn't take off to the level I think it could be. So if you're a senior leader, if you're on staff, I would say go out and find three to five men with men, women with women, that you can meet with for the next 12 to 18 months and just live life with them. Read the Bible. You have to be intentional with the word. 
memorize scripture, pray together, hold them accountable, and then after 12, 18 months, replicate the process. It's really as simple as that. Um, so I would say that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I would say is this is what you're looking for in people. And uh, we call it faithful people. So the, the, the word faith is what we use. We're looking for faithful uh, Christians, uh, people who obviously love the Lord. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, you therefore, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So he's saying faithful. Faithful is F. A is available. People have to be available and make themselves available. The I is intentional. Uh, they have to be intentional with their time. The T is teachable. I said this earlier, but you're looking for teachable people. The H, and this is a big one, they have to have a hunger for the Word of God. They have to have a hunger to grow. Uh, and a lot of people you'll see, they, they're faithful and maybe they're available, but they don't have this hunger or desire to grow. That's what you're looking for. And one of the things you'll find is that some people will say, ah, I'm not looking for the meeting every week, or I don't want to do the work, or I'm not interested in memorizing scripture. Uh, what I would say to that person is, it's not that you can't be discipled, it's just that nail's not the right time. And you have to think about this, Dan. I mean, realize this, Jesus didn't work with everybody. I mean, you got to imagine that 13th disciple that came up and said, hey man, listen, I'm in. Jesus is like, no, I think we got the 12. Well, no, 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 Jesus, I'm in, right? Or, or the Luke 9 guy who says, hey, I'll follow you, but let me go tell mom and dad bye. Just a quick going away party. I'll be right back. What does Jesus say? No one turns around after putting his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the service in the kingdom of God, right? Man's like, let me go bury my father. Jesus is like, no, 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 listen. Let the dead bury the dead. As for you, come follow me. Listen, let me, let, let me follow you, Jesus, but, but, but I've got to fix some things. Are you one of those high-flying rabbis that stay at the Best Westerns and have a Delta Frequent Flyer Club mile program? And Jesus says, listen, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I don't even have a place to sleep, much less meat. So what I realized about Jesus is he never lowered the bar for people to be disciples. He always raised the bar. And that what you'll sense. find is yeah. when... Yeah, and listen, when you raise the bar in your church, you don't work with everybody because everybody doesn't want to be worked with, but that's okay. You work with the few people who want to be worked with. So if, if I'm in a church environment, I'm going back, and here's what I would do. I would run the magnet over the sand, and I would see who's interested. It may be maybe 20 people. It may be three people. But you work with those three. And this is an exponential J-curve type of ministry whereby the three multiply into six, and the six multiply the 20, and it's just this thing exponentially grows. And you look back and you realize, man, people's lives get changed and they get passionate about the things of God and they become the biggest advocates for the disciple-making movement in your church. That's, that's really good. Robbie, I appreciate your time, man, and uh, really appreciate your ministry and really encourage people to go to Replicate Ministries and get some of the tools uh, for equipping and discipling people. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Dell. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.